the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever is on your heart or mind, whatever you might be struggling with. We have a couple of those questions that people are struggling with that were sent in. We'd love to have your calls. 340-9585. That's 340-9585 for your calls, or you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use your free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Tuesday, normally we don't have a lot going on. We get right to questions, but I really need to share my heart on a couple of things today, maybe about four things here before we get to the questions. We'll still take your phone calls, but uh, I would appreciate your patience with me uh, today. As many of you know, we weren't on live yesterday uh, because of the uh, um, service for Nehemiah Perez, uh, who was um, taken in the presence of Jesus uh, last Monday, not yesterday, but last Monday, we had his, the service yesterday. It was a superhero service, uh, perfect for an eight-year-old. The family requested that uh, nobody wear suits, nobody wear ties, nobody wear dark clothes, but Nehemiah would like superhero stuff. If you didn't have superhero stuff, you could have uh, just colorful clothing, joyful clothing. And we really did have a great service. In fact, we've, we've got it archived at calvaryessay.com. It was live streamed yesterday for people that um, couldn't get here. Um, you know, it's always hard to say goodbye to anybody, let alone an eight-year-old child, just not in the normal order of things. But as um, hard as this is to explain, we really did have a great service. Uh, Nehemiah's heart was remembered rather than a memorial service. I told the church yesterday, I don't like memorial services because they're for dead people, but Nehemiah is alive. Um, it was a memory service. And we got to hear from some of Nehemiah's friends. We got to hear from some of his teachers. Um, got to hear from his father. Um, great, great time. Um, again, under terrible circumstances. It really was um, a tribute to Nehemiah and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you all for your prayers. It was uh, more important than you know. We have a church family that's really hurting. At the same time, we have a church family that that understands that Nehemiah is in the presence of Jesus, the goal of his salvation. So again, thank you for your prayers. Uh, two other things. We've got a Good Friday service this week coming up uh, here at Calvary Chapel at 7 o'clock. It's a very unique service that we're going to have. Um, if you are planning on coming, come early. Um, there will be a, a big crowd, and it's hard to get in. And then, of course, our Easter service, we invite all of you. We have plenty of room on Easter Sunday. Uh, we will be doing two Easter services on 
um, this coming Sunday, one at 8.30 and the other at 10.45 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Converse, Texas, not far from where we're located. Uh, You will be welcomed. Please invite people who aren't saved. People always get saved at our uh, Easter services. Um, It's a great time. People will come to a place that's not a church. It's a performing arts center, so they'll feel a little less um, um, as though they're being judged, maybe. Um, but it's just a great opportunity to talk about the, 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 the empty cross, the empty grave of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's this coming Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Now, having said that, I think it's also important to note that today corresponds to day three of Jesus' Passion Week. Of course, day one was the triumphal entry. We celebrated that uh, on Sunday. Uh, Day two would be when Jesus cursed the fig tree and cleansed the temple after thinking about it all night. Day two, uh, I'm sorry, day three, the day we're in now, um, is when the, the, the Jewish religious leaders began to question his authority. He turned over the tables in the, the money changers' tables in the temple. Who are you? It's almost to say, who do you think you are? And Jesus turned over the money changers' tables. He was, uh, they were questioning his authority because they thought they were an authority. They didn't believe. They refused to believe that God was in their midst. Um, it was when he saw day three in his Passion Week, saw something that would have warmed his heart. It was the widow's offering when a lot of the wealthy people lined up and gave a little bit in the temple offering, you know, financially they gave a lot more, but they had a lot more. But it wasn't until this one widow came and presented her offering that he called his disciples' attention to it. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, this woman has put in more than all of the others, and in the Greek, the the, the sense is more than all of them combined. Now his disciples would have said, no, she just put in two little mites. And Jesus said, no, she put in everything, everything that she had. Now, the reason Jesus acknowledged her offering was because she walked away from that offering box with nothing, nothing that is except her faith in God. The rich people that put larger dollar amounts in, well, they could go home and still trust in their material wealth. They were still going to be okay. They didn't have to depend on God. This woman went away depending on God and God alone. It seems that this woman is the one who understood that everything belongs to God. So Jesus was quick to point that out. It was also the day when Greeks, Gentiles really, would come to the disciples wanting to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. By the way, I think that's something that ought to be written on every pulpit in the, in America. Sir, we would see Jesus. That way we could get out of the way so that people could see Christ in us. And Jesus, of course, had a timetable to keep. He didn't have time for the Greeks at that particular moment. But he knew what his plans were. So day three, tomorrow I'll talk about day four. Maybe you can take some devotion time this week, the week of Jesus' passion. I told my church this past Sunday that we were his passion. Maybe you can take just a little bit of time and thank the Lord for that. Sit at his feet and go through each day of his passion week with a truly grateful heart for all that he's done. Because it's a matter now of only days before Jesus would be offered for the sins of the whole world. Nailed to a cross and beaten without mercy. And he did all of that for you and for me. So tomorrow we'll do day four and we'll go from there. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Uh, could we also ask for an emergency prayer? Just got a bulletin. Pray for Raina. Uh, we've been asking for prayer for her and uh, 
Carl. Raina is uh, one who has uh, developed a very virulent form of cancer, a very rare form of cancer. Uh, she just went into septic shock, uh, shock I'm told, and she's been taken into uh, ICU. The chemo has not been started as was scheduled, so please, please, please keep Raina in your prayers. Dear God, touch and heal, please, Jesus. Please, Lord. As you can imagine, it's been a tough week at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 340-9585, here is a question from our email inbox. It was sent in anonymously just now. Uh, Pastor Ron, this question is not meant to cause a division. It comes from a sincere heart with a desire to resolve some confusion. A young boy from our church family is now with his Lord and Savior, and I've heard both know this, God did not take him away, a reckless driver did, and also God decided to take him away. He looked at this world and decided to take him home and spare him from all of the wickedness in it. Which is it? Again, please know that this is just coming from a confused, sincere heart. I mean no disrespect, but did God take him away? or Did God not take him away, or did he? Or is it a matter of when we say God took him away, we simply mean God allowed it to happen as he allows all the wickedness in the world to happen until the proper time of his coming. On that note, if God did not take him away, what do we mean in worship songs during the times of great loss when we sing verses like you give and take away? If he's not the one who takes away and it's just the evil in this world, then what does a verse like that mean? I don't take any offense at all to questions like this anonymous. I'm actually the one who said, uh, knowing that uh, the, uh, I think last Wednesday, uh, informing the church of what happened, uh, I said God did not take him away, a reckless driver did, and that's true. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to look for for hidden meaning and purpose in everything, and sometimes tragedies are just tragedies. Now, we've got to make a d- distinction between what God knows is going to happen and what God causes to happen. God knew that Nehemiah last Monday, uh, a week ago yesterday, uh, was going to, to be his last day on earth. Um, God knows all things. But it wasn't God driving that truck. It wasn't God who caused the pain, the heartbreak in his family, his blood family, his church family. Uh, it was just a terrible accident. I say all the time on this program, we live in a fallen world and evil things happen. Uh, yesterday at the memorial service, we, uh, his father said God decided to take him away. Uh, and, and what Victor meant, Victor is the father, isn't that, that uh, God said, you know, I'm going to remove this child from this evil world. Uh, God didn't stop it. He didn't intervene. And it's not God's habit of intervening. You know, too often, and I got this question a lot over this past week, why didn't God stop it? Well, God doesn't generally, at this point, break in and stop evil. Now, I think when we get to heaven, Anonymous, we're going to find out that God stopped a lot of evil, a lot of evil in this world that we won't know about until we get there. But the normal course of life, things happen. And because Nehemiah was a Christian because he had a tender heart for Jesus. Uh, God didn't stop him any more than God stops unbelievers who die in accidents. Death is all around us. The day you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. And mankind has been dying since that moment. And sometimes if we have a theology that indicates that God owes it to us to stop bad things from happening. It's because we don't really understand. We don't really understand our relationship to God. Now, also anonymous know this. There is a time coming when God is going to stop all evil. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 9 when he comes with us to destroy his enemies once and for all and establish his own kingdom. But until that time, God gives grace and he uses the Christians in this world as a light to win others. So this isn't an either-or situation. It's just that we've got to understand God knows stuff is going to happen, but he doesn't cause it to happen. And he intervenes in only special matters. Now, 
relative to the worship song. You give and take away, and it's a very popular worship song. We sing it here from time to time. That's just quoting scripture. That's Job. That was Job's understanding after his family was taken from him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we have to understand an earthly perspective is an incomplete perspective. As much as I'd like to think we could figure it all out and wrap it up in a nice little package, we can't do that. God doesn't cause evil. But in the middle of evil, there's great blessing. We who are left behind, I said to the church yesterday, we who are left behind hurt. We're left with sometimes unfathomable grief sorrow that is so deep that you can't find a place to touch it, you know, it's just not able to be explained. But for, in this case, our Nehemiah, in that accident, Nehemiah was knocked out, never to wake up again. And at some point between the truck and the hospital, Jesus sent an angel for Nehemiah. And an angel took the real Nehemiah, a little eight-year-old body, eight-year-old body, and took him instantly into the presence of Jesus. In our church, Yesterday Anonymous, as you know if you were here for the service, we had all kinds of pictures around of Nehemiah smiling. The older he got, I told the church, the bigger his mouth got, the bigger his smiles got. But it was nothing like the smile on his face when he saw Jesus. So God did not take him away. God received him into glory when he was taken from us. I hope that makes sense to you. This world is evil, it's fallen, bad things are going to continue to happen, but God is always on the throne. So uh, no disrespect taken. Uh, honest questions never cause division. Um, so keep asking all of the questions that you have. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, these are the questions we've had a lot of the kids asking. One of the little kids, one of the young men said, um, is it okay for me to be angry and jealous of Maya at the same time? And the answer is yes. Those are good and honest and sincere questions. Thank you for asking it, and I hope that made some sense to you. Here is a question from our email inbox from Philip. He says, in Scripture, we often see references to what almost seems like a pecking order, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. I understand God doesn't play favorites, or am I mistaken? And he does. But it seems like we Gentiles weren't meant to get this free gift of salvation, and that it's only because the Jews turned it down or messed up, such as when Jesus compares the Gentile woman to a dog. He says in parentheses, I'm paraphrasing. I know he wasn't harsh about it, but he still made it seem like she wasn't as important. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs go for the crumbs. I begin to feel like Gentiles were an afterthought, like we weren't meant for paradise, but that changed when Israel messed up. Could you please explain? Philip, I'll do my best. Um, let me let me start with the, the, the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus uh, compared to a dog. Jesus used this this wonderful little endearing term. You know, we read it, we have one English word for dogs, it's dogs. But in the ancient world, dogs were pack animals, and they weren't little neat pets. Uh, they, they, they were scavengers, they were, were in attack mode, in survival mode a lot. And so they were a nuisance. Um, that's the way, unlike our culture, that's the way the ancient world viewed dogs. Now, in this particular case, Jesus used a completely different word. He used a word, the best English definition that I can come up with for it is lap puppy, lap dog, picturing a cute little well-cared-for, a loved little lap dog. I can imagine Jesus with his lap dog stroking the lap dog, and you know how we all are with puppies, we're just sort of crazy, we make funny noises, and we let them lick our faces. 
Well, that's the example that Jesus was drawing on for her. And basically what he was saying is, look, it's not your time yet, but don't worry, I have a plan for you. I have a schedule for you. And that begs the other question, a pecking order, it's not pecking order, it's just a sense of order, chronology. Jesus' ministry was not to Gentiles. I mentioned on the third day of Passion Week, the Greeks came to him and said, we will see Jesus. And they were forbidden to see him because Jesus didn't have time. No, first I've got to die for the whole world. Unless a kernel of wheat drops the ground, it won't reproduce, is what he said. So first I've got to go die. And then I'm coming back for you Gentiles, for you Greeks, don't worry. So this was just the chronology established by God. He came first to the Jews, the people of God. I say often in this radio program, Philip, that Jesus' ministry was exclusively Jewish. And if we don't understand that, then we miss the whole import of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and death. So we understand that Jesus came on a mission. He came to his own, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But God always intended for Gentiles, you know, it wasn't like God says, oh, they messed up, so what am I going to do? I guess I'll save Gentiles. It wasn't that at all. In John chapter 4, he goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. But Jesus loved her. And he made a special appointment to go see her. Well, in the same way, Gentiles were always on his radar. The Old Testament references in the prophecy of Isaiah in the Psalms and other places about Gentile inclusion in the family of God were completely overlooked by Jews who hated Gentiles as well. But Jesus always intended. He said, I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold. And that was a reference to you and to me. So it wasn't afterthought at all. It was just a plan. One comes first. You'll notice in the book of Acts. In Paul's missionary journeys, he always goes into a new town and first looks up Jews. Why? Because he's following the example of Jesus. When the Jews reject it, then he declares himself free to go share with Gentiles. And, of course, we know that Gentiles were such a part of his plan that he apprehended this one man, Saul of Tarsus, the evil Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus and set him out as his chosen instrument to carry the gospel message, this glorious news to Gentiles everywhere in the whole world was chained. So, um, we are not an afterthought. We were meant for fellowship with God. By the way, Adam, who walked in the cool of the garden with Jesus, wasn't a Jew. So, no way we were afterthoughts when you're God, I guess there's no such thing as an afterthought. Philip, I hope that explains the question. Let me take the last couple of minutes of this half of the program to talk about something else I've been getting some questions about. I told you last week that uh, Paul and I would go see the movie on uh, the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, and, and we did. We got to go see it uh, this weekend. And um, uh, I loved it. Now, let me explain. It wasn't anything at all what I expected it to be. You know, I sort of expected it to follow Paul through the book of Acts, and it just didn't do that at all. Now, normally, I'm just, I'm this just kind of person I am. When something isn't the way I expect it, I don't like it. So that I say I love the movie um, is significant. I really, really love the movie. Uh, it was written with uh, artistic license. Um, it was true to the character of the Apostle Paul and what we know about Luke, who were the two main characters in the movie. Uh, the movie took place at Maritime Prison. I won't give out any spoilers, so don't worry, but you, you all know how it ends anyway. But the conversation between Luke and, uh, and Paul was just wonderfully done. Uh, Jim Caviezel played Luke. Uh, I think James Faulkner played Paul. And I thought they did a wonderful job. Uh, it, it especially portrays what a brutal and harsh world that Christians walked into in the first century. 
uh, more brutal than we can possibly imagine. Uh, Paul and I both walked out of that movie thinking, and we complain about when things are tough here. Uh, but I, I thought it was a, a very fair uh, and well done character study of the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. Um, all of it about him, uh, his telling the stories came when he was in prison just before he would be beheaded by Nero. Um, but but I, I, I hardly recommend it, and I think uh, you would you would do well to go see it. So um, that's the best that I can do. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left to go in the program. We'll be coming up on the break in just a moment. 340-9585. Uh, remember, please, to keep Raina uh, Wilson in your prayers. We'll do the best that we can to keep you posted. Um, our hearts are breaking all over again, but we would love knowing that you're out there praying. Well, if you hear the music, we've got 30 minutes to go in the Tuesday edition of the program. 340-9585 or toll free, you can call us at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. We will be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program you heard the numbers 340-9585 for your live calls and questions let me share this i just got a really really neat text at least my producer got the text and passed it on to me uh from victor that's uh, nehemiah's father um, they just got confirmation that Nehemiah gave the gift of sight to a one-year-old little girl and a three-year-old little boy because Nehemiah donated his organs. Um, they can see today. I know how pleased Nehemiah would be to know that he also donated his heart and his kidneys and his liver. There was no question at the hospital when they talked about organ donation. Of course, Nehemiah would want to do that. Well, um, maybe this was making me choke up because I'm visually impaired, but we've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old kids who are going to be able to see. This is truly Romans 8.28 in action. We're still heartbroken. Our pain is real. But two kids can see today. Wonderful stuff. Here is a question from our mobile app from Scott. He says, Proverbs 29.19 says, A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. Does that mean that perhaps correction should be corporal? Um, no, Scott. This is just a general rule of life. Um, um, you know, I, I, would, I would say that a, a servant has to as an example. Um, to follow. Um, no, this doesn't reference anything about corporal punishment at all. Uh, this isn't about children. Um, but but there has to be discipline. There has to be structure. I think this is just Pro Solomon in Proverbs. This is just wisdom. Now remember, these are poetic books. So we, we don't look at these and make doctrine. You need to look at Proverbs um, in context. It's sort of a shotgun approach to, to, to human wisdom. But in this particular case, I'm simply saying it takes more than just words. It takes time. It takes um, investment. Uh, we would say that if, if somebody is truly in the process of becoming a servant, we'd want to set a good example for them. We'd want to come alongside them. Um, they need more than just correction. That's a good word for all of us to remember because we're so quick to correct other people. Uh, here is a question from Marv. He says, in what sense is Jesus the firstborn over creation? Marv is quoting Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Two things about this, that he's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation. Colossians, uh, Paul is trying to prove the superiority of Jesus to a, 
uh, legalistic or Jewish audience. Um, you're saying, no, he is the exact image. If, if God the Father could look in a mirror and we could see the reflection, what we would see is Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, that he's the firstborn over all creation is different. Uh, the, the word firstborn is a Greek word, prototokos. And, and it means in terms of priority or order. It doesn't mean Jesus was born. We know he wasn't born in the sense that as the Son of God, he was the creator of all things. He wasn't uh, the, the firstborn. I mean, in his family he was, but not certainly the firstborn of all creation because there were people older than him. So what it means there is that he has it. Remember Paul speaking to... Uh, a, a, a Jewish audience converted to Christianity but fighting legalism. He's saying, no, Jesus is first in your life. Jesus comes before all things. And understanding that he comes even before the law is the point he's trying to make to the church at Colossae. Now, for you and for me, Marv, for everybody in this listening audience, what we have to do, especially a, a great time to do it as we approach Good Friday, is is examine our own hearts to determine whether or not Jesus is first in our life. I tell our church all the time, sometimes I get a little bit of flag from it. Uh, people look at Paula like, oh, poor girl. But I tell the church all the time, I love Paula more than I could ever imagine. I love any human being ever, but I love Jesus infinitely more. All of that to say, if there's anything or anyone in your life that you love more than Jesus, you're missing the whole point of what Paul is saying. He needs to have priority. He needs to be the prototokos in your lives, Marv. If he is, then things go well with you. doesn't mean they go easy. It just means that he's always there with you. So he takes priority, precedence, importance, um, placement, over everything that has ever been created everywhere. Here is an interesting question for me um, from Jason. Uh, he says, Pastor Ron, can you share why Easter means so much to you? I, I don't think so, <laughs> Jason, and only uh, the bit of program that we've got left. Um, you know, Easter for me is life. Now, keep in mind for me personally, and that's what you asked about, uh, I'm a late-in-life Christian. I didn't get saved until almost my 40th birthday. I had squandered so much. Uh, I caused so much pain. I was in so much pain that that Easter, for me, means life. I was walking around, but I was dead inside. I had dead eyes, a dead heart. And the reason Easter changed all of it is because the, the, the man, Jesus who happened to be God that they killed, he didn't stay dead. I'm sort of like the way I envision Peter to be. You know, when the word filtered back to Peter and John that the ladies had seen Jesus, that the tomb was empty, they took off in a mad dash. Peter first, then John. John points out for some reason that I don't understand that he could run faster than Peter, so he arrived at the tomb fast. I imagine big Peter tradition holds that Peter was a, a large lumbering man for the time. And he'd be running and huffing and puffing, and John just kind of fly by him. But when he got to the tomb, Peter knows that John stopped. So Peter just ran right in. And you have to wonder, why would John stop, and why would Peter just run right in with, the, with abandon? Well, the answer is because John, a younger man, it's almost too good to be true. He stopped like, I, I can't go in there by myself. I can't go in there yet. Peter, remember, he just denied Jesus three times, Jason. He heard the rooster crow as Jesus warned him about. He would have Remembered, I know he would have remembered because Satan would have brought it to his mind. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. All of that to say, Peter had nothing to lose by running into the tomb and looking. He had everything to gain. Well, that's how I feel. I, I had nothing to lose when I gave my heart to Jesus. I messed up everything. 
And for me, I had to know it was true. And the only way you can know it's true is that the man they killed is alive. I'm not a, a, a super emotional person, Jason. I'm not um, somebody who who um, gets goosebumps just at the mention of Easter. Because every day, the key for my life is knowing Jesus is alive. Not only alive, but that he's with me. And Easter is the validation. You know, as Christians, at some point, the devil is always trying to attack. He's always trying to bring doubts. That empty tomb shouts down any doubts of the enemy. And that's why Easter is so special to me. I'm not who I used to be because the Jesus I found out about and learned to love is alive and with me. Paul said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we're to be pitied more than all people. Well, that's why Easter means so much. It's why every day this week, all of us ought to take some time, Jason, and just thank Jesus for going to the cross for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserved. One more thought on this, Jason. I think one of the reasons that I'm not, I don't know you, so I'm not saying this is the case for you, but generally speaking in the Christian church, we think way too much of ourselves. We think we're okay, we're good people. We're saved. It's the other people who aren't saved that are the problem. Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. He's just able to love us differently because we're his. Truth is, we deserve hell. And Easter, the empty tomb, promises heaven with an exclamation point. Hope that helps, Jason. Thank you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Hank. Uh, he says, if Jesus died, in parentheses, he says, and I know he did, does it mean that God died on the cross? Uh, Hank, it does. Now, let me explain, because this is something that causes people some difficulty. God became a man and had two natures. Jesus is and always has been and always will be 100% God. At his incarnation, when he was placed into Mary's womb, he took on a separate, separate nature. And he, from that point forward now, was always and will always be man. Now, we can't truly understand 100% God and 100% man. But Jesus, the man who is God, died. All of him died. Now, here's what we know. We know it doesn't mean that his deity ceased. It doesn't mean that Jesus as God no longer was God. It simply means that for that period of time between his death and resurrection, he was not on his throne as God. He was still doing his father's business. So the man Jesus physically died. But just like you, Hank, and just like me, like our treasure, Nehemiah, the moment that body stopped breaking and breathing, the real Jesus, the one who is God and man, was set free. So I hope that helps. It's the best I can do. Here is a, an anonymous question. 
Why do we need a Bible if Jesus lives in us? Shouldn't the answers we need come from him? Um, Anonymous, I don't know if that's, if if you're asking that arrogantly, the question kind of comes off that way. Um, God gave us what we need. You remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and he told his disciples that I have much more to say to you, but I can't say it now because you're not ready for it. He also told him he wouldn't leave him as orphans. He wouldn't leave him without direction. Jesus knew, obviously, there was going to be a New Testament written to go along with the Old Testament scriptures that were already written. And our Bibles contain the rest of the story. The things that he knew we needed to hear, but his own followers weren't ready yet to hear. Well, Anonymous, you're you're ready to hear. I'm ready to hear. And yes, God lives in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. But we also have that terrible, competing, sinful human nature. And there's a war going on between the spirit man and the flesh, the carnal man. And that means that we don't have perfect interpretation. We don't have all the answers. We don't hear clearly, so much so that the Apostle John, toward the end of his life, would write in First John chapter 4, uh, the first verse, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God. We've got these competing voices in the world, in, the, in, in our heads, from an enemy. And discerning which voice is God's and which voice is His, and I'll muddy it up one more step, which voice is ours? We read something that's perfect as it's given to us, the Word of God, but because our interpretation is imperfect, we mess it up. That's why we need a Bible to tell us what the answers are. And anonymous, only lazy people, spiritually lazy people, don't want to dig into the Bible. They want the easy way out. They want quick answers. But you see, the Holy Spirit works through His Word. The Holy Spirit the real author of the Bible, pushing the pins of men. All Scripture is God-breathed, Paul tells Timothy. So what we have here is, I call it a love letter. Some people get offended when I say that. But for me, it's like an instruction book. I don't know what to do. It tells me what to do. And when I do it obediently, then Jesus in me, the person of the Holy Spirit, empowers me. And without the Bible, it's impossible to separate all the noise in this world, to separate all the noise in our brains. So what we do is we verify everything, test the spirits, John says, because not every spirit is from God. How do we test it? We test it against his word. Anonymous God will never contradict himself. There's nothing he will ever say to you that is contrary to what he's already revealed in his word. If you think you're hearing something that stands in contradiction to the revealed, perfect word of God, then you're hearing from the evil spirit, or you're hearing from your flesh, you're hearing what you want to hear. And he gives us his word so that we'll know what he wants us to hear. Here's a question from Ted. Pastor Ron, do you believe in progressive revelation, meaning that God provides new revelation continually to mankind? Ted, I do not. Um, Very important. Um, If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Uh, God is old, so everything that he's revealed to us, Jesus said, I've told you everything. Everything that he's revealed to us, he's revealed in his word. Hope that helps. Let's go to, we've got Tanya calling from... San Leandro. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? Tanya, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me, Pastor Ron? 
Oh, we got a problem. Let's go to Michelle on line two. Oh, there you are, Tanya. Thank you. Hi. I can hear you now. So I have, hi. Okay. I, hi. I miss you guys so much. I'll, I'll be home sometime in uh, in June, so we'll go get some uh, some pancakes. <laughs> you're you're booked for that. <laughs> That's all right. So I have a question for you, Pastor Ron. One of the things that I have been um, uh, kind of running into some some concerns is when it comes to watching other people's children. And um, I, I was asked uh, t- about Lent, and uh, one of the children that I care for asked, what did you give up? And I said, well, you know, I didn't give up anything. And, you know, I gave the whole kind of kid version about how, you know, God doesn't want me just to get something for 40 days. You know, you know, it's something, it's something more deeper than that. Well, the kid goes home and tells his mom and dad, I'm not practicing <laughs> Lent anymore because Miss Thomas doesn't. <laughs> so needs to say mom and dad gave me a phone call and and you know and i told him you know you, you have to honor your, your parents you know they're your mom and your dad and and i understand that but i also feel like hey i really should say something because it's yeah. not necessary so just want to get your opinion on how to <laughs> best kind of uh you know I, felt, I was in a really bad spot you know what i mean and and yeah, bless his heart he he didn't do it to, to, to get, you know, me in trouble or anything. And, and of course, I, I didn't. The parents were, you know, very uh, uh, respectful. And so wanted to get your take on that, and I'll take your answer off the air. Give Miss Paula my love. I will do that, Tanya. Thank you very, very much. And, by the way, you just did because Paula's listening to the show. Uh, Tanya, um, we live, as you know, this is your old hometown. We live in a Catholic culture, and we run into things like that all the time. Um, I believe that we have a duty to tell people the truth, whether they're little ones or bigger ones. Uh, we tell the people the truth in love. Um, we we explain to them what Jesus really wants from us is obedience. Um, giving something up for a short time really doesn't have any value. But then we tell them something else that's very clear. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So uh, I, I think that's a great opportunity to, to share your heart, but at the same time say, now here's what you need to do. If your mommy and daddy celebrate Lent, then you go do it. Tell him to open up Ephesians 6.1 and read it to you and ask him if he understands what that means. Say, then you go home and you tell your parents that you're going to obey them. I just, there's no other way to do it. There's times when when um, we've got to worry about what the Bible says to us and not worry about so much something that uh, somebody else practiced. And so it's your, your responsibility to tell the truth in love. You always do. Um, but, but tell them the whole truth. I'll obey your parents and the Lord. I hope that makes some sense to you. Tanya, good to hear from you. Let's go to Michelle calling from San Antonio online too. Michelle, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Okay, uh, you hear me? I can hear you, thanks. <laughs> I'm back. Um, I have a question about, well, I it's actually tagging along to your test of spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why I can't hear you. I, I'm hearing you fine. I'm hearing you oh, fine. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, on the radio and it has a relapse or whatever. But um, no. I didn't test the spirits. And, you know, I've talked to you before about me trying to self-justify. And <laughs> so I went and not listening to counsel. And I went and I self-tried to self-justify, be self-righteous in an incident. And now I feel guilty because I know that, like other people were telling me, it's the enemy telling me to do it. And so now... One of them, one of my spiritual counselors said, see, the enemy does that. He'll tell you, oh, something's good. You're supposed to do it, and then you do it, and you feel guilty. So now I'm going through that where I feel guilty because I should have just said, it's all in the blood. Leave it alone. Give it to Jesus. Well, I, I do have a testimony. Today I was at work, and I said, God, just show me that you're still with me because I felt like God left me because I mm. keep doing this over and over to myself, and I just felt so empty, like, I don't think he's going to give me another chance. He's sick of me now. I've, I've lost <laughs> grace. And so 
what happened was um, I started talking about this kind of thing about how, you know, I appreciate that God had shown me so many people around me that are trying to, you know, tell me about the word and we were talking about how I was raised Catholic and she was telling me how she, you know, we were just talking, she was, you know, we were just talking about that yesterday, about how it's just about the relationship with Jesus, that's it, because we, <laughs> you know, have had a background in Catholicism, it's about the penance and all that, and it's none of that, it's all about, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. where he just showed me that another person had just been talking about the same thing that I was just thinking about. Yeah, so. yeah Michelle, a couple of things. One of the things, when, the enemy's always going to be, be trying to cast doubt. Um, you know, if, if somebody was trying to tell you not to do something and you went ahead and did it anyway, um, now would be a good time to call them and say, you know what? You were right, and I was wrong. Thank you for loving me enough to correct me. And humility will help you in your spiritual battles against the enemy. Now, that won't keep him from trying to make you feel condemned. And two things that you need to remember always, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel. First, your feelings are unreliable. God's Word is the only thing that we can rely on. God's Word says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you feel condemned, when you feel like God's not with you, you know it's a lie. And you have to identify it as a lie very, very quickly. And then you won't be in that place where you're feeling like God's going to leave you, He's done with you, because the Word says that He'll never leave you or forsake you. Michelle, He loves you so much, He's crazy about you. It hurts His heart a little bit when we don't do what we know we're supposed to do. At the same time, He's so quick to forgive. Just say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Help me not do that dumb thing again. And I promise you, He'll smile and say, let's walk together. Michelle, thanks a lot for sharing your heart. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on the air tomorrow, 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.